Travolting presents The Fraser's Edge. Hosted by Jeff Sweeney and Stuart Elmore. Covering Journey to the End of the Night. Enjoy the episode. Jeff. He made you suck and fuck a thousand cocks before he married you, Stuart. Jesus Christ, what <laughs> is this? That was not that, the that, intro I had in mind at all. That's my vibe watching this movie. That's a, What you just said is exactly what I thought watching this movie. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? What is happening? Yeah, I. Uh, that's not the intro I thought at all we were going to go with for this movie. Yeah, I was going to say, like, here's, this is what I was going to go with. I was going to say... Uh, Hey Jeff. Yeah. I have a story for you. Yeah. Two white guys that own a bar slash sex worker. Essentially a brothel. A, a brothel. A, brothel, a club slash a brothel. Club slash brothel. In Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh whose client gets shot by a disgruntled uh by a disgruntled girlfriend of the client. Never quite explained. Uh who we then then find that the client had a suitcase on them filled with drugs yes as one does then somehow reached out to a nigerian drug trade yes to sell drugs to them had a nigerian um arbitrator Mm. who was then killed by a sex worker yes by a, by a uh, by a trans sex worker, or uh, mm. uh, uh, or a, a transsexual, um, the movie doesn't explain. Yeah. Um. And so their their then response is this is a father son duo by the way. Yeah. Did I mention that? Yes. Father of which is married to a woman the same age as a son. Yes. If not younger. Yes. But they have a toddler together. Yes. It all makes sense. Yeah. So then the father-son duo, what they do instead is the father finds another Nigerian man. Just, you know, he happens to find one. Just finds one in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We mentioned this takes place in Brazil, right? Yes. And then two white guys who speak English the whole movie, by the way. Yes. They find another Nigerian man who works in a kitchen. Of course. As one does. Uh, who then agrees to take the drugs to this Nigerian drug trade by himself. Yes. Having assumably never sold drugs before in his life. Yeah. You're kind of pitching a good movie right now. And then, but meanwhile, the son, uh, in the midst of this drug trade, wants to s- cut his father out on the deal of the drug trade to get his father's wife, whom he may have some kind of an affair with, and his father's son, therefore his half brother then adopted son if that were to happen away with the profits of the drugs but then what happens is when the nigerian man who was hired the replacement nigerian man was hired goes to the nigerian drug trade they make the trade but on his way back gets mugged but the but the money doesn't get stolen he instead befriends a brazilian woman but then they get hunted down by some guy. Yes. He, she, the Brazilian woman who 
picks up the the replacement Nigerian man who got the drug money from the Nigerian drug trade. She dies. Yes. Meanwhile, the father and the son are freaking out about this replacement Nigerian drug trade salesman guy. They engage in the, what you say, shootout. They engage in a shootout because the father is looking for the Nigerian man who tries to hire the exploits of a fortune teller. Yes, there is a psychic in this. There's a, a real psychic. Not, folks, like, we'll get to it, but not like a psychic, like, you, you know, your bargain store psychic. A real psychic. Like a psychic with actual ability. The movie says it's real. Yeah. The movie says it's real. So he goes and he hires said psychic, but the psychic can't help because he's a drug dealer. And the psychic knows he's a drug dealer. Mm. So then what happens? His son goes to the psychic. Yes. Or his son sends somebody to this. He kidnaps the psychic, shoots his, shoots his dog. Yes. And then kidnaps the psychic. Yes. So then the father and the son have a meeting. He's freaking out because the Nigerian uh, fella who has the drug money is nowhere to be found. But then he tells his father that I'm cutting you out of the drug money. But where? But you haven't found the Nigerian man yet. That's okay. I kidnapped the fortune teller to tell me where he is. But then before anything can happen, a sex worker walks into the room. A sex worker who the son and them had an altercation. The son cut up their face and then left them away. That sex worker then came back, shot the son, and then who had never met the father before shot the father, but also got shot by the son. And then they die. And then the Nigerian man arrives. Finds everyone dead. Finds everyone dead. Sees the wife of the father. And then the father in his dying word says, please take my wife and son and take them away with the money. Yes. And he does. And he does. I just That's, explained to you the entire movie called Journey. Yeah, folks, if you guessed, to the if end you hadn't guessed it, of the night, we're talking about the prequel to uh, Journey to the Center of the Earth, Journey to, to the, the End, end of, of the, the Night, um, which Brendan Fraser dies at the end of. Oddly enough, I don't. But quite, comes back. And I don't know how his character is returning. Maybe yeah. this is a sequel, and that's a prequel. Uh, it's worthy of investigation. Did anything I just say make sense to you, Jeff? This movie made more sense watching it than 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 your description. A lot more sense. The, this a mo- little bit more sense. Well, this movie's so simple. This is like just an after hours riff. It's just like you're just following three people over the course of a night, and the plot do- and the overall logic of the plot doesn't matter. It's a, it's like. You know, it's like a, it's either it's a, like a Safdie Brothers movie or Scorsese's After Hours. It's just a riff on that format. Like, have you ever seen Good Time? Yeah, it's just Good Time, but in Brazil, it's the, like almost the exact same plot. But it does have like a main through line, though. Yes, like Good Time. It's just it starts as Rob Pattinson wants to get money to bail out his brother. And it just kind of keeps exceeding, and he finds himself in a variety of wild situations over the course of a night. Um, all the while still trying to find a way to get that money to get his brother out, but it all just keeps complicating. Just yeah. in the same way that After Hours is... Um, God, what's the guy's name in After... Griffin Dunn um, is just trying to, like, you know, 
get home through Soho. And this is basically a guy goes to pick up money and is trying to get back to a club. And meanwhile, we're intercutting with the guys in the club losing their shit because they can't find the guy and everyone dies at the end. Yeah, perfect sense. Yeah. Do you have any context of this movie, Joe? Uh, I can find absolutely nothing online about this movie. This movie comes out in 2006. This, mo- this movie comes out in 2006. Um, it screens at the Tribeca Film Festival. I don't think it ever gets theatrically released. I don't know how it gets released. I don't know if it ever was released, honestly. We had to watch this on Sling TV. Yeah. Uh, the only place it was available online, Sling TV, where we got ads from 2016 every 10 minutes. Specifically one about uh, food waste. Featuring some strawberries yeah, that um, would mold to the theme of married life from Pixar's Up. We got those release releases a lot. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have any theatrical release. Just that it came out in the Tribeca Film Festival April 20, 2006. And then United States DVD premiere February 27, 2007. But there is no like theatrical release. Yes, that sounds about right to me. Um. This was filmed in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Yes. This movie makes 40... I'm not, I'll, I'll save it for the end. I'll, I'll save how much this movie makes until the end. But this movie is directed by uh, Eric Eason. Eric Eason. Um, who prior to this had done um, one independent film uh, called Menito. Uh, he shot... He wrote and directed that one, and it was basically um, about a young Mexican man in uh, Washington Heights. Uh, his his style of filmmaking uh, seemingly it's very much it's very similar to this movie, and then he kind of just shoots everything over the course of like a day or two, just tracking the life of one person and trying to follow it. So Manito seems like it was a very very small movie, uh, budget twenty five thousand dollars. This one for basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it won an award at Sundance and uh, Tribeca. So he got essentially, you know, when you when you come out with some awards from Tribeca and Sundance, you get the ability to make another movie that is going to be funded and going to have a decent budget, if not a big one. Yeah. And that's where this movie comes from. Um, and the thing is that I don't think anything happens with this movie, and that's basically the last you hear of Eric Eason. Um, he does eventually write um, A Better Life, the Chris White's movie with uh, Demian Bashir that he gets an Oscar nomination for. But in regards to his career, um, this is his second and final major directorial film. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, coming off of Minito, he does, you know, he gets the attention of movie stars. Yeah. And when there's a young independent filmmaker who's kind of popping off the festival circuit... And there is usually an attempt by movie stars kind of like get in early on that. Yeah, right. And this this leads me to where Brendan's at in his career. Because mm-hmm. we've been talking recently, he's been in a lot of blockbusters that aren't working. Right. He's still kind of coasting off the mummy high and just kind of being known as a successful... Action. Like, just a successful name. Yeah. Like, he's still respected as, a- as like A-list Hollywood right now. Even though a lot of his things aren't working, his shots aren't taking off. Yeah. But this is, I think, what really does him in. 
Yeah, first off, thank you folks for tuning in and, and thank you for listening to our, our last week's episode on Crash. Crash. Um, I'm sure you enjoyed that one. In the time since we recorded that episode, I was actually in a car crash, and I think it's for what I said about that movie. It was uh, the karmic balance of the re- universe uh, readjusting. You, I wasn't going to say it. No, I, I. it was one of the first things I said. Uh, yeah, I think it was one of the first things I said. Um, so to the end, Scrubs came or Crash came out. Scrubs, because I'm looking at Scrubs. Crash came out 2004. This came out 2006, which means, reasonably speaking, Fraser films Crash in 2003. Yeah, and then films Journey to the End of the Night 2005. Because if Fraser at this point in his career, if he's to follow like the traditional like movie star route, Mm -hmm. he kind of has his big blockbuster success. Yeah. And he's doing, like, small parts in successful dramas or, like, side roles. Mm-hmm. He's, like, you know, the second fiddle to Michael Caine in... Quiet American. Quiet American. Or he's, like, one one of the guys in Crash. Yeah. Or XYZ, yada, yada. Um, he should, at this point, get a successful, like, indie film and a successful, like, drama that he's leading. And the thing that's doing, that does him in, I think, ultimately... People can say it's the failure of Looney Tunes or the failure of Inkart or XYZ, but what really doesn't mean is he never manages to really break through in the dramatic scene. So when the blockbusters start failing, he doesn't have anything else to go to. I would say like his tactics are the right tactics. Yeah. To like try to t- it because we ridiculed Travolta for doing the opposite doubling down on his leading man stardom you know yeah fraser is doing the opposite he is taking a step back from the blockbuster leading man and he's taking supporting roles in more dramatic and independent and serious Mm -hmm. films so i can't fault fraser for the tactics i think it's just been the poor project decision making i think it's that but it's also just like he's not getting offered the really exciting stuff Otherwise, I think he'd be in it. You think so? Because, like, why is he in this? Let me me look up what comes out in 2006. Let me see. Movie dramas in 2006. Why is he in this? Why is he not in... um, God, some of these are weird. (laughs) Some of these options. I'm looking up Best Picture nominees 2007. Okay, that was that's probably the better Google than what I was. Doing. The Departed. Yeah, why is he not getting the movies that Damon's getting? Letters from Iwo Jima. Why is he not in Letters from Iwo Jima? Little Miss Sunshine. Why is he not in Little Miss Sunshine? Like, why are you know he he his first movie, his first big movie. You know who was in that movie? Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. And he was the lead, and they were the supporting. Yeah. Why are they the ones who, at this point in time, are in the big stuff? Why are they critically popping off? Why, Jeff? I don't think it necessarily has to do with talent. I mean, there there is certainly an aspect to that. I would say that Matt Damon's probably a better actor than Brendan Fraser. I don't know about Ben Affleck. I would not say that Ben Affleck is a better actor than Brendan Fraser. Yeah. Um, but what is what's the special sauce that's happening? I think it just comes down to like Fraser can't get the good picks. 
Yeah, so what I kind of said. Uh, yeah, kind of what you're saying, but I think it's I don't think it's entirely on him. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's on him and kind of just like the system and the structure of Hollywood that he's not getting the pick the good picks, so he's doing movies like this. And to be fair, I think it should be very important to say that Matt Damon's pop-off movie and Brendan Fraser's pop-off movies are very different. Yes. Matt Damon's is uh, Goodwill Hunting and Saving Private Ryan. Yes. It's those two. Mm-hmm. That's a dramatic war film. Yes. And then a dramatic coming yeah. of age. And I think there's film. a certain aspect of luck to it. Well, well, and then what I was then going to say is like then Fraser's pop off films are George of the Jungle and the Mummy and the Mummy, comedy yeah. and comedy, and I think it's very hard to to break out of like that. put. Okay, I'm just going to say this. What what year did Goodwill Hunting come out? Uh, 1997. Okay, that's a little bit early, but just go with me on this. Imagine Brendan Fraser in the Matt Damon role in Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. It's essentially the same role he played in School Ties. It is. Imagine him in that therapy office scene with Robin Williams, yeah. Brendan Fraser. Does it work the same? Do you think Fraser can hold his own the same as Matt Damon can? I mean, here's the thing that that I mean, Matt. It's a good performance that Matt mm. Damon does. Like, I'm yeah. not taking it. This no, way. Matt Damon's incredible. I'm, yeah, I'm not taking it away that oh, Fraser can do the exact same thing as Matt Damon can. I'm just saying, like, is it outrageous to think of Fraser in those roles? I don't think it's outrageous. Right. I think, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it does come down to he's known for what he's known for. And it's kind, and it's hard to, once you're in a typecast in Hollywood, it's hard to break out of it. Yeah. Matt Damon's greatest skill is that he never let himself get typecast. Correct, yeah. He was very smart. Yeah. Um, Brendan let himself get typecast. Yeah, which kind of goes with the themes of what we've been talking about yeah. with Fraser's personality that he's a yes man and that you know he he he's gonna take whatever gig he can get because he he he's just he has that like midwest old school traditional style of how to make how to get famous in hollywood which is like keep trying keep trying until you land that big part you know yeah whereas i'm sure like you could say that like well Yes, try to get that big part, but make sure that big part isn't going to, like, you know, shoehorn you or typecast you. Like, no, he's probably not thinking about that. He's probably thinking, like, oh, like, I'm going to get George of the Jungle and it's going to be a big, giant Disney film. Like, absolutely, I'm going to take that. It is, is it the same kind of the same thing I did in Encino Man? Yes, but this is going to be a bigger hit. So I'm going to take it. The Mummy? Absolutely. So, like, I don't know. I think if there was a movie that if he were to have escaped the typecasting and gotten more successful dramatic roles, it would have been Gods and Monsters. Mm-hmm. I think that movie could have done a lot It should more. have opened up a lot of doors for him. I'm not even going to say should have. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying it could have. Yeah. And the reason why I'm saying could have is because... Ian McKellen's the one who pops off from that. It's weird because Ian McKellen's like 60 when he makes that movie, but that's yeah. his big break. <laughs> that's a little funny to but say. But that's the true story of it. Yeah. It's like you like Yeah. It 
every movie that Fraser basically has done, someone else is the one who pops off from it. Yeah, Michael Caine in Quiet American, Ian McKellen and It's God like there's all these old British guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, it's so funny to talk about Gods and Monsters. Ian McKellen's big break when he's like, he's 60. Yeah. But that is what leads to him, you know, being an X-Men, being in uh, Lord of the Rings, yada, yada. None of which to say, like, either A, Fraser doesn't give bad performances, and, like, not to say he isn't good. In the, like, he does well in all those movies. He's just consistently foreshadowed by a yeah. much more focused role. Yeah. Which, like, he's not the lead. Yeah. And I think, I mean, whereas Matt Damon and Robin Williams, which is sort of a similar equivalent to what we're talking about with Fraser and all these other movies. Yeah. Talking about Matt Damon, a new actor, acting alongside Robin Williams. Yeah. Granted, Robin Williams ha- had acted before, but this was his first like yeah. major accolades film. Well, He had done Dead Poets Dead Society. Society. He didn't get nominated for that. He did. Not an Oscar nomination. Did he not? No, he didn't get nominated for Dead Poets Society. He might have gotten a Golden Globe. But I don't even think he did that either. Um, We're looking this up, folks. I am double checking this. List of Robin Williams performances. I want list of awards. Hold on, I'm, I got it. Uh, he was nominated for Good Morning Vietnam and Dead Poet Society yeah. and The Fisher King before. Um, You're right. Good morning. So I take it back then. So then it makes it even like more accurate. To what we were talking about mm. that Matt Damon is acting alongside yeah. a high accolade actor but why does it what does it do differently well I think one of the main things is that Matt Damon is objectively the lead character of that movie exactly yeah exactly Good Will Hunting Matt Damon is the lead character exactly his name is in the title exactly whereas both of the Fraser movies where he acts alongside yeah a major actor He's a supporting of that yeah. major actor. Yes. If if the Quiet American, I know it's based on a novel, so you can't really swap the roles. Yeah. But if like hypothetically, if it was a Brendan Fraser movie with a Michael Caine supporting, maybe that does something. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. Same with Gods and Monsters. Maybe you don't. Maybe Jimmy Whale isn't the lead of the movie about Jimmy Whale. Maybe it's about more so about his gardener, and you make him more the lead. I don't know. All I'm saying is, is I, I think I'm just pointing out that like Fraser's doing the right tactics. Yeah. But they're not working, but they're not working. And it's based on an old established pattern that he yeah. unknowingly got himself in. Yeah. He's the goofy guy. He's the blockbuster boy. Mm. And then this is around the same point where a lot of things in his life start going wrong until finally now he has finally done the Jimmy Whale moment. Yeah, he's finally he's had his big comeback, and he's done as Ian McKellen in The Gods and Monsters. Yes, he's become the whale in the whale. Yeah, he won an Oscar. Yeah, and so took a little bit of time, but to go back to this movie and its relevance, yeah, I I think this is where like none of these movies are panning out. Did you like this movie, Jeff? Eh, it's like a five out of ten for me. I would probably say about the same, 5 out of 10. The 5 is mostly because the performances are pretty good. Yeah. And it it shot pretty nice, like well. This is a very much a second movie for a director. It's very much a like you have the big like you have a big success 
on a super low budget and you get a decent budget for your next movie. Movie. The script feels very like I don't want to say first drafty, but like young writery. What's an example? Like what's the what's the sister movie of this? The sister movie of this. Um I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head. Well, like it's a sophomore curse, right? Is what you're describing kind of. Well, a let me look up this movie real quick. Is it wanna... Damien Chazelle's La La Land? Not La La Land. Um okay, Good Time is actually a great parallel of this. The Safety Brothers. Um because they direct um but isn't but Good Time was a successful movie. Yes. That's and that's exactly the point I'm about to make. Is the Sassy Brothers, you know, they directed like, you know, several movies, Daddy Long Legs, Lenny Cook, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh prior to this, Good Time is like roughly their biggest budget for a movie. Uh at that time it's like two million, so it's not much. But they get a big movie star to play with. They get the one big movie star, they get Robert Pattinson. Much like our guy, um, Eric Eason getting Brendan Fraser. Yeah. And the good time, very similar movie and structure to this. It's very much like a second movie where it's like, you're just going to really try and show them what you got. You're going to shoot it really cool. You're going to have all these great concepts. You're going to set over one night, uh, et cetera. And I think just simply this movie doesn't work in comparison to good time. Good time works. It's a great movie. Why does this not work though? Uh, it's, it's not, it's not, the script is not as well refined. The characters aren't as real. Um, the performances are good, but the flow isn't there Mm -hmm. uh, until on the plot. It's kind of like the, the script just isn't there. Yeah. And that just comes down to the Safety brothers are good writers. Eric Eason. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad writer, but he's not as good. He's still young. He's, it's a second movie. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I definitely felt, and I I hate saying this because like we were interrupted by multiple commercial breaks, jarring commercial breaks. Yeah, like someone would be getting like raped or murdered, and it would cut to like a a, a seatbelt safety ad. Yeah, um, but I did fe- feel that this movie was disjointed a lot. Yeah, there were a lot of jarring cuts and segues into different plot points that, not that I forgot about, but I was like, oh yeah, like this guy still like in in it. Kinda. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I've essentially already like highlighted the plot. Um, I think I can, we can run it through very, very briefly, very quickly in slightly more detail. Sure. Just because it, it basically what we got going here is, uh, Brennan Fraser and his dad, um, his dad's playing a character named Sinatra, which is a little funny. That is a little funny. Um, and Fraser's playing Paul, and they're a father-son duo, and they run a brothel nightclub. Yeah. Um, they find a... They essentially get a suitcase of cocaine, full of bricks of cocaine, off of um, a client, that, got a client that gets murdered. They spend several months basically planning a deal to offload these drugs, and then they're going to take the money and like buy their way out of their lives. Because they're both miserable. They don't like this life. Yeah, they're two white Americans living in South Brazil. Yeah. Like, um, it's never really explained why they're there, but you can probably assume that they were on the run from something. Yeah. Or at least Sinatra was. Um, Paul has always felt like slighted by his father. He doesn't like his dad. 
And so he's planning to take the money and run with his father's wife, mm-hmm. his new wife. Yeah. Um, not the one who birthed Frazier. But uh, his wife and his son. And there's a question of legitimacy over whether the son is, in fact, Fraser's son and not his father's son. Yeah. It, so it's it, But the, it's very glossed over. The core of the movie is these two men fighting over this woman and the kid. Very loosely. That's the loose core of this movie. Very loose. Everything core. stems out of that. Yeah. Because their guy who they're going to have go on... The, the deal because they're dealing with a Nigerian uh, gang who will only deal with Nigerians. Yeah. So you have to have a Nigerian in your group to work with them. Yeah. Uh, their guy dies. And I think he ODs is basically the implication. Uh, He's like in with a sex worker and he just dies in there. Yeah. It's not quite explained how I think he ODs. Yeah. It's not really explained. Yeah. But he dies. So the um, Sinatra finds a guy in his kitchen who's Nigerian, um, basically says, like, hey, you're going to do this thing for me, and we're going to give you a lot of money. Wemba. Right? Wemba is his name, and he's played by Mo Steff. Um, When I saw him in the credits, I was like, oh, yeah, Mo Steff. Like, it's probably going to be a good performance, and Stuart said, yeah, Mo Steff. I did not say that, Jeff. <laughs> you did not. But, yeah, Mo Steff. You uh, said Yassim Bey. Um, he's actually a very good actor. He is. Yeah, he's he, pretty good. He's good in this he's movie. He's very good in this movie. Yeah. And so they send him on the the pickup, the deal. Yeah, and there's no real scene that talks about how they like convince this guy other than like giving him maybe a cut, but that yeah. is all done off screen. Yeah, and it's also like he just works for the brothel and it's basically implied like, hey, unless you want to be dead or not have a job anymore, you're going to do this. Yeah. Which I guess equate to the yeah. same thing. <laughs> and so Yemba or Wemba um, goes off on the deal. And then the movie's basically intercut between two storylines. One is following Wemba's journey, which is a very after hours, good time esque journey. Yeah. He goes, he makes the deal, he gets knocked out on the way back. He eventually links up with some girl and gets a there's a car chase. The yeah, girl... there's somebody after them. Yeah. But it's like it, I don't quite know who it is because like it's not one of Fraser's guys, is it? Yeah. Or is like it could be, but we don't ever know. It's not the Nigerian gang. Yeah. Because it's a white guy who's chasing after yeah. him. But like I think it might be someone involved with the police. Maybe is the idea because there's like that one detective at the beginning. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's not. It's not important. But uh, so when, but, but it leaves you asking. Though. Yeah, like that's that's the problem yeah. with this movie is I'm left asking a lot of questions. Yeah. So we're following Wemba go on this journey. Um, there's a car chase. He's basically having the worst fucking night of his life. Yes. Um, but I, there's really not much to say about that storyline. This is going to be a short episode because there's, it's like a lot of incidents that we can't really dive into. Because like, incongruent to what while that's happening, uh. Fraser is like scheming with the with taking the money away from his father. Yeah. But in the meantime, Wemba goes missing. Yes. They can't find him. And it just kind of leads to a lot of. Yeah. Fraser starts to lose his shit. Because basically if Wemba doesn't show up with the money, everything's going to collapse. Yeah. And it does get to the point where the two of them are so worked up about the potential of Wemba not getting them things collapsing. That they all kill each they other. They all get shot by the and die by the time Wemba actually does show up. Yeah. A lot of old animosities like 
emerge. Fraser like assaults a trans woman. Yeah, pretty brutally too. Pretty brutally, because he's just so worked up. She's like screaming outside, and so he like throws a, she throws a bottle at him. Well, because he's yelling at what, her. He, what's happening is like, and you said it like he assaults her because he's so worked up. Yeah, there's no other reason. Yeah, he's so worked up that he's in his office, he's freaking out, and then he throws a bottle into the street, and it turns out it almost hits a yeah. trans sex worker. Yeah, and. Like they cuss him out, he cusses them out, and he comes out and he slices her face up like the Joker. Yes, it's kind of fucked up. It's an unpleasant scene to watch. Yeah, it is kind of fucked up. But like, it's these men are just getting so worked up about this not getting this plan not working out, and them being stuck in Sao Paulo and having to face the consequences of their actions. Yeah, that it just kind of reaches this inflection point where they're all in the hotel together. And they're getting ready to all shoot each other. I think realistically, even if what happens doesn't happen, they all get shot. They all kill each other. Yeah. But what ends up happening is the the trans worker finds them, comes in and shoots Fraser and kills him. And then... And we get a great shot of Fraser falling out the window. Everything goes slow-mo. Yeah. There's like four different people who shoot each other. It is very much the mm, what you say. Yeah. Oh, the jolly man. It's only that like Lonely Island skit. It's like Fraser gets shot, and then um, he shoots her. Yeah, he shoots her, her, and then Scott Glenn raises a gun and she shoots him. And, and then, then one of the henchmen, sh- and then she falls down dead. Yeah, and then a henchman comes in. Wemba and the wife are walking out the henchmen walk in yeah and then scott glenn who's about to die yeah shoots the henchmen yeah so we have four bodies yes four casualties because base and he's like he tells wemba to take his wife and maybe son and take the the money money and build them a better life because wemba's a good man yeah because like what we're like the root of the animosity between Fraser and his father is that I, I just want to talk about this because it's a really good scene for Fraser is um he's basically like when I was a kid, my mom had cancer and rather than, you know, do deal with that. You were too busy fucking the nurse. Yeah. Um, that like Scott Glenn couldn't confront this or help his child. And so Fraser harbors that animosity yeah. And Scott Glenn also equally kind of knows he's a bad father. Yeah. Um, and so he just won he you know, he and Fraser die and he's like, just the three of you go and build something better. Yeah. We don't deserve to get out of here. We deserve to die here. Fraser like we've seen Fraser do some crazy stuff in his career. Yeah. This movie is a whole new level. Yeah, he's really good in this. He is really good in this, and he is at a whole new level of intensity that I have not seen him do in any movie. I, I we, Jeff, so Jeff and I watched this movie together. Yes, we watched. We rarely do that, but we, we rarely this. do this. But this was a special occasion that we decided to just watch this movie and one other movie together. And I think I told you this. I said, like, 
Uh, this is like when people think Robin Williams is like known as the family friendly comedy actor because mm-hmm. he's in all those family comedies. Yeah. And then you listen to one of his stand ups. Yeah. And you realize how much he drops the F bomb and yeah. says a lot of sex jokes and stuff. For people who think like Fraser is like the George of the Jungles, the mummy, watch this movie if you can find it. Yeah. <laughs> That's Sling what, TV. Yeah, Sling TV. Uh, did you have to get it for free? or like? Do you, it was free. It was free? Yeah, you can get it on Sling TV with ads, but you will see a Fraser that I don't think I've ever seen before and I don't think I will ever see ever yeah. again. I think this is a one and done performance. Like, I, yeah, I think I, this this type of Fraser will probably not see again. Yeah, he's just like he's crazy, and we've seen crazy, but this is crazy and brutal. He's like a very broken individual in this movie, and he does it very well. And it's different from Passion of Darkly Noon. Passion of Darkly Noon is he's like a deranged monster kinda. Yes, this is like this is a person who was broken later in life. So, yeah, it's it's a good it's a good uh, I, it was memorable performance, mm-hmm. especially when he says like you know no the, the whole monologue about his mom is great yeah it's it's that level of intensity that you were talking about that you don't yeah. see yeah. yeah yeah um and it's just a shame that he's pouring his heart and soul into a performance in a movie that literally just doesn't get released yeah um. There's this movie, I it just doesn't get released. No one sees this movie. No Except for us, apparently. And 350 other people in Letterboxd. Yeah. I mean, I would recommend this movie to other people. Yeah, like, it's 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 like 89 minutes long, so I, you got nothing to lose. <laughs> let me rephrase. I would recommend this movie if you can handle it. It's a little brutal. It's, yeah, a bit br- it's, it's, it's intense. It's an intense movie. Like... It's not like, you know, the most intense movie I've ever seen, but like it's got some triggering moments which might, you know, might cause some certain audience members distress. Yeah. Like, you know, if if you have a sensitivity sort of like towards like, you know, sex work of any kind, like, yeah. like maybe, maybe sexual sk- assault and yeah. violence and like, whatnot. Maybe skip this movie. Yeah. Yeah. This may not be for you. Yeah, but it is, you know, a mark to Fraser's credit that he does kind of put his all into this movie that otherwise doesn't exist. Yeah. Like that this, you know, he, I don't want to say he could have phoned it in, but he could have, you know? Yeah, he absolutely could have, but he didn't. And I, you know, do you think this movie could ever be re-released? It's just so much of a ghost. It's so obscure. Like, there's no chance. Right. There's no following for it. Yeah. What's the rating on Letterboxd for? The average rating? Uh, The average rating for this movie. Let me guess. It's probably two and a half out of five. 2.8. You were close. Yeah. That makes sense. A lot of people probably ranked it three out of five stars because of Fraser's performance. Yeah. That's the vibe I got from a lot of, um, what is this movie? Sorry, something just, random movies just popped up and I was very curious about it. But yeah, this thing, um, people just kind of, you know, watch it and they're like, yeah, that's fine. Which is basically how I felt. I was like, yeah, that's fine. Two and a half. Yeah. It lo- it's interesting. You can tell that Eric Eason was putting, you know, a lot into this. 
It shot pretty well. He was trying to make a good movie. It's a shame it didn't work out. Um, but you know, a lot of times things just don't work out. That is the name of the game of Hollywood. The biggest weakness is its script. Yeah. It's its biggest weakness. The script is needs a lot of work. Yes. It needs a lot of work. But otherwise, it's a good effort. Yeah. It makes it frustrating. Mm-hmm. These are one of those movies where it's like, you can see it being a good movie, but it's missing the fundamental bit about it. Yeah. It's not quite there. But I, I, I wouldn't acquaint this as being frustrating. Like, it's almost there. No, it's not really almost there either. The dialogue needs a lot of work. There's a ver- there is a good version of this movie. With, there with a heavy rewrite. Yes. Because the reason why I'm emphasizing that, Jeff, is because we've seen movies where they don't even need heavy rewrites. Mm-hmm. What, what, there's a movie we covered recently where it's like it was so frustrating to talk about because it's almost good. It's almost good, but it was just missing like that little kickover. Like, that, it was a Fraser movie. Was that Monkey Bone? Maybe. Maybe it was Monkey Bone. Yeah, Monkey Bone, we wanted to be good, but it wasn't. Yeah, and it was almost there. It had the idea. It had the concept. It had the correct performances yeah. in some sense. Like Monkey Bone should have ruled, and it didn't. It should have ruled, and it didn't. Yeah, this movie needed a little, a lot, a little yeah. bit more extra work. So. Yeah, I honestly think that's all there is to say that's about this all movie. I, I, to, I don't that's have anything. All else. I have to say about this movie too. Yeah, we we didn't talk about the the psychic, but like, what are you gonna say? There's like a psychic in this movie, and they actually have magical abilities to read minds. It's used twice. Yeah, and for the most part, the guy just kind of sits around. He literally at the end of the movie, he literally just sits in a room because he was kidnapped. Yeah. yeah. He's threatened to be tortured, but he never gets tortured. That's the extent of his role. Yeah. Um, so this movie, um, like we said, doesn't really get released. It gets really, really minor release. Overall, it makes $49,000. On a... $6.2 million budget. Yikes. I mean, that's not a huge amount of money to... Who, who releases it? First Look Studios releases this movie. It's probably like some sort of backers project, you know? Um, they go defunct four years later. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Millennium Films. You know, it's 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 a flop, but it doesn't. You know, it didn't have a huge budget anyway. Mm-hmm. So it basically, just fades into obscurity, complete non-existence. Yeah. Um, the one interesting bit of legacy that this movie does have. Uh, you mentioned this, and I looked up, and it's true. Darren Aronofsky sees the trailer for this movie somewhere. Online. Maybe at Tribeca. No, like, uh, recently. He was writing The Whale. Yeah. And he sees a trailer for this movie somewhere. Like, it just pops up. Yeah. And he's like, Fraser, I didn't think about him. He'd be an interesting pick. Yeah. And that is oddly enough what inspires him to look into Brendan Fraser for The Whale. This movie that doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'd said like he actually had not seen many Fraser movies prior to The Whale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only just like a trailer for this that popped up probably on like a DVD or just like somewhere on Google. And he watched the show and he's like, oh, Fraser, that's actually an interesting pick. That's a guy who kind of like got knocked down and, you know, could use some redemption. Yeah. And so he um, he cast him in The Whale. This the whale would not have happened. Fraser's Oscar would not have happened without this movie. So, Journey to the end of the night. Yes, a movie that doesn't exist otherwise. Which 
the whale is his journey to yeah. the end of his night. But it goes to show that in Hollywood, like oh, even come on, that was a good bit, Jeff. Why'd you have to steamroll over that one? Yeah. Journey to the end of, of his uh, night. It's a good one. It was a good one. It is a good one. I, I can't even look at you. It was pretty good. To the rest of this episode. It was pretty good. Whatever. Steer it. Steer it. It was a good joke. What were we going to say, Jeff? I was mid-thought. I'm sorry. What were you going to say, going. What were you gonna say, Jeff? I can't even remember what I was going to say. Oh, It goes to show in Hollywood that, you know, your greatest successes can come out of your biggest failures. And that's all I got to say that's about a that. Very, that's a very Jeff Sweeney philosophy right there. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. You like that? Yeah. I like that. Thought so. Yeah. Thought so. Yeah. That's why Hollywood, you know, you're never down and out in Hollywood. You never know what's going to happen. In the in the movies, in Tinseltown, the pictures, La La Land. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's journey to the end of the night. Got anything else to say? I think let's, uh, let's complete this journey to the end of our night. Yeah, um, well, that's that's all I have to say. There's no like really reception to this movie. The biggest legacy is the whale thing. Um, so thank you so much for listening to this episode on Journey to the End of the Night. Be sure to turn in next week for our episode on The Last Time, a very chill and normal movie. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> boring business movie. A very chill and normal movie where nothing crazy happens. Yeah. Um, as always, special th- please remember to rate, subscribe, whatever platform you're listening on. As a reminder, we are available on Spotify, Podcast, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Pop into our Reddit, r slash Travolting. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at TravoltingPod. TravoltingPodcast at gmail.com if you have anything, you know, you want to email us. Anything. Find me on Twitter at Jeff W. Sweeney. Anything? Uh, no. Okay. Special thanks, as always, to Rebecca Johnson for the graphic design, Angie Gardner for the social media, and Michael Van Bodegum Smith for the theme Maybe music that is now taking you out. out. Have a great week, folks. See you next time for the last time. But it will not be the last, be the last time, time we're doing the show. Bye. Bye.